have this kid, like I said, um, and this is really representative, I think, of what happens a lot of times in North America, is that we as a church really want to see stuff happen, and we try, and we try, and we try, <coughs> and we try, and a lot of times nothing happens, and we try, and we want to see the loss come, but it doesn't happen. <coughs> Excuse me. And we want to do good. We want to do this, and we can't do it. And in this video, at the end of it, his dad intervenes, and he, it makes it possible for the success to come. We just want to open up today by just talking about the fact that what we really need in our lives to be successful in our Christian walks <coughs> is for God to intervene into our lives. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Excuse me, sorry. <coughs> Man, it's been like three seconds up here. <coughs> We need the power of the Holy Spirit to flow through our lives because it's only when the power of the Holy Spirit flows through our lives where we give up. <clears throat> wow, this is really hard today. Sorry, guys. They said I had two hours to preach, so this is fine. I'm just gonna <clears throat> it's only when the power of the Holy Spirit for the fourth time when we allow the Holy Spirit to come upon our lives is when we start seeing success in our lives. And when we put actions into it, the Holy Spirit works through us and we start seeing things happen. We see the lost saved. We see people healed. We see the church unified. We see people coming together for one purpose, to praise God and to worship God. There's in Psalms 127.1, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who try to build it labor in vain. And unfortunately, in North America, so one of our premises in North America is that we're very, very self-sufficient. We're a people who can do it on our own. We can use our own resources. We can use our own talents. We can use our own abilities. And it's very often capable, possible, that in all of the works that we do, that God's not even present in what we're doing. <clears throat> and we, it's a challenge. And so as, it was actually really funny when I was asked to preach on prayer and um, because God's been really taking me through this journey over the last couple of years. And I just wanted to share it with you guys. <clears throat> this is a story that I think Jackie knows and maybe one other person knows. So, so bear with me. Um, <clears throat> about 11 years ago, I uh, had donated a kidney to my dad. And <clears throat> I was a really healthy individual. I played a lot of sports. I worked out. I was no problems, no health problems, no nothing. I was in great shape. Uh, my dad's health had deteriorated to the point where he was, after the surgery, he had told us that he was probably just a few months away from not making it. He just had nothing left. And so we went in through this, this whole procedure. Um, my dad and I weren't very close at the time, and I was really hoping that um, uh, basically his mom said no, his sisters and all of his siblings said no, they won't donate a kidney, and nothing happened. And so there I was. And my dad and I really didn't have a lot of relationship. I don't know if anybody here can relate to that. Just dads and kids don't always, aren't very deep or whatever. My dad and I would talk about the Canucks and the weather. And that was pretty much my history as far as my conversations I know with my dad. But we went through this process and uh, um, it was a really, really interesting process uh, to go into this place of surrenderance when you really didn't have to to go into a place where you didn't really feel <laughs> like you needed to. You, it wasn't necessarily my call to give my kidney. I love my dad, nonetheless. But we went through this process, and uh, I went after surgery 
Um, I went from being super healthy to basically just getting wrecked. I had a really, really rough recovery. Uh, my dad, after a five-hour surgery, was wide awake after half an hour, ready to go, full of energy. And uh, it was a really challenging time, but for the sake of my dad, you know, and seeing him get through and alive, it was worth it. Over the last 11 years, I've still been continuing to have problems with my kidney, uh, my only kidney, or not this whole time, but as of late, I'm walking through some challenges with that. In the last year, I think it's been, um, there's been a division in our family, and my dad and my mom have walked out of our lives. And so, in prayer, going before God, I just started to pray and share my heart, and I said, God, why? I didn't do anything. I was, you know, I didn't deserve this. I was a healthy individual. My dad did not deserve this. I paid the price. I've got a scar to show. I'm still having problems. And I said, God, I hate him. I'm frustrated with him. I'm just so devastated with this whole process. And as I began to pray, this, the answer that God gave me, sorry guys, it's allergies now. <laughs> a lot of dust in here. The answer that God gave me, I think, has really transformed my Christian walk like it's never been before. And as I sat there and I, I cried out to God and said, he didn't deserve it. I, I gave him a kidney and now I'm paying the price and he, he's walked off with it. And God said to me, I know. And right before my eyes, he showed me the cross. He showed me Calvary where he paid the price with his hands and the crown. That he did nothing to deserve the price that he paid for our lives. And yet he willingly laid it down because he cared for us and because he loved us. And God said, I know, but I love you. I know, I love you. And the cross just kept coming up. And I just felt so convicted in my spirit about my sacrifice was really nothing compared to the price that Christ paid for us. And this has motivated me as I saw the cross and Jesus was just saying, you know, I've died for people and yet they continue to reject me. I've died for my church and they reject me. And there was a calling back even in my own spirit where I was like, God, I need you. And God just started showing me the lost as well. And you know, we try so hard and we're desperate to see God move and we want to see the loss come, but there's this disconnect. There's a disconnect oftentimes between what we do here and what's going on around us. Just today alone, there's people in the event center who have zero clue about what's going on here. They have zero interest about what's going on here, and they don't even see their need for God. And so there's something that's missing in this equation where we meet and we gather, and yet the lost are not coming. We have conversations with Jehovah Witnesses who come, they just built a new temple, the Mormons over here, and I drive by and their parking lot's full. The Kingdom Hall is full. And it hurts inside to go, these people are lost and we carry the truth. So what's wrong? Why is this not happening? But this is where this story picks up. And this is why for me, as I have been going through this process with God, I'm just wanting to see the lost saved, I love this book. I love the book of Acts. And I know it's scary, and I know there's lots of things 
that come about with it that are really unknown, but I love the book of Acts. Because this is, a, this is a book where what God says is, I'm going to connect the pieces that are missing. I'm going to move in a way that you're going to see people come to know Christ. I'm going to see that the church will be unified and it will grow. And so here we are, Acts chapter 1, and this is where we're going to start. I just want to give a bit of an introduction. Jesus has died. Uh, the disciples are in Jerusalem. Um, I can only imagine... How many people here have just experienced loss where someone in their life that they're close to has, has passed away? It's one of those processes that you walk through and there's just this, can't even really explain it. There's loss, there's confusion, there's emptiness, there's all these questions that start swirling. And I can only imagine with the disciples as they hung out in Jerusalem after spending three years with Jesus, how lost they must have been. You know, here they are, uh, their mentor, their friend, their teacher, their leader is now gone. And here they are just sitting and trying to figure out now what. They're confused. There's also great fear. There's huge persecution that's striking the Christian world. People are dying or being killed. And uh, here they are. They're waiting. Um, so in Acts chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, let's, um, let's uh, read starting from verse 1. In my former book, uh, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he, be he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for my gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Ghost. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Um, what I find interesting is, is uh, we're not going to keep reading all this stuff, but in 1 verse 14, they leave Jerusalem. It says that Jesus was taken up before their eyes. He's gone, and he tells them to go and to wait in Jerusalem. So here we have the disciples who leave um, in verse 114, and they all join together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And I find it really interesting that right off the bat, right after Jesus leaves, that the first thing that the disciples do is not, well, that was a good run, let's go home, and hey, good job, that was great. You know, where do we wait, what do we do? They just went. And their instinct was just to go pray. Right off the bat, they're like, we need to pray. We don't know what else to do right now, let's pray. And so, um, why? Why would they pray? I can only imagine that the next phase of this journey, this new commission that Jesus has given them, that you will be my witnesses everywhere you go, must have been pretty scary. Um, the, the fact that probably crucifixion or some sort of death was awaiting them, martyrdom for their faith, that's just the times they were living in. And I can only imagine uh, sitting there waiting. They saw Jesus die, this horrific death, and now here they are being called to go and to be disciples, to go baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost and to wait. The disciples had been modeled, uh, prayer had been modeled by Christ on a regular basis. Mark 1.35 says that early in the morning, Jesus would get up while it was still dark, and he would pray on his own in solitude. We as a church are called to pray. 
And it's a very simple fact and it's a very simple command that we need to pray. We don't need to pray just sort of here and there and everywhere whenever we can. We need to pray. Prayer needs to be a discipline that we resort to first and foremost when situations arise in our lives. Every day, whether there's a situation going on that's good or bad, we need to pray. God is calling his church to pray. In Philippians 4.6, it says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests before God. Guys, we need to pray. What prayer does is prayer brings in the power of the Holy Spirit. What prayer does is it ushers in God, and it gives us opportunities to commune with God, to fellowship with God, to be in relationship with God. And everybody here knows that when you have a best friend or your spouse, the more time you spend with them, the more you become like them. And sorry, Jackie. A, but it is true. You, you start picking up qualities and traits or senses of humor or passions or excitements or whatever it is. I got her watching the Green Bay Packers, which is great. Actually, all my girls watch the Packers now, so that's good. But we do become more like the people that we spend time with. And when we spend time with Christ, we start taking on his personality. We start taking on his qualities, his attributes, his visions, his, his longings. So we need to pray. Um, the thing about prayer that oftentimes we hear is that, well, that's your thing. And prayer is commanded for all of us, that we're all to be in prayer. It's not for the few. And I love this in 114 where it says that they were all together constantly in prayer. It didn't say that some of them were together and some of them were dawdling or doing this or that. They all came together and they prayed corporately. And this is really the beginning of corporate prayer for the church, is that prayer corporately brings unity it brings togetherness, it brings passion, it brings fire, it brings a greater sense of togetherness, and this is what this was all about. It also brings support and strength to each other. Have you guys ever had somebody pray for you where you're just going through something and someone says, let me pray for you? And it's probably like a really, really cool interaction where someone comes up and actually cares enough to say, I care about you and I want to pray for you. And these guys are now in the midst of waiting for who knows what this is going to look like. Um, and they need support. They need strength from each other. They're going to walk through something that they have no clue what they're going to walk into. They're going to go out and they're going to start preaching in places around the world that nobody wants them. And God says, you're going to go there and you're going to make a difference. But it doesn't really matter what God commands because it's still scary, right? God says, we want you to go and witness. Ah, ah that's great and that sounds really good, but... It's also interesting to note that out of the 120 that were in the upper room, there was actually 500 people who had been invited to come and partake in what they were going to experience, and only 120 said, we'll go. So 380 people felt that it wasn't worth, for whatever reasons, we don't want to go through this, this is scary, we don't understand it, we don't know what's to come, and so they decided not to come. What I love about prayer is that prayer creates community. And there's millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars being spent today um, on how do we create community. There's books coming out. There's speakers on it. There's gatherings that happen on a regular basis. How do we create community in a transient world or in a world where people drive into their carport and walk up into their house and you never see them? Prayer brings about community. If we want to be a church where you come to church and you feel like this is your community, this is your church, you're together when we walk through the halls or when we see each other, it's when we pray. The Greek word for this is koinia, which is all together, um, which is being together. Um, same will, same desires, and same purpose. 
And church can be a really difficult place because we all come and we're from different age groups, we're from different backgrounds, we're from different, different views, we're from different political parties, uh, some, boss, some Americans here, just kidding Keith. Um, but we're all together and we all love God and that's how we need to be because when the church, when the world sees us and they see a united force coming together, they want to be a part of it. And it's exciting when um, the world says, wow, you guys are, what a cool place, what a neat place. I came to visit, and I, it felt like family. And that's what we want to be. We want to be a place that's considered family, that whoever walks in those doors feels like they're loved and that they're accepted. And these are the things that happen in prayer. These are the things that transpire in prayer. And we need to be those people. Again, what I love about this verse is that they were instinctive. And all through the book of Acts, the church was instinctive and in going right to prayer. There was no hesitation. There was no thought, well, let's, let's go try to get these guys out of jail ourselves. I, I, I think I know them a little bit. Let's go try to work out. I got some extra cash we'll, uh, we'll throw to the guards. Right away, they earnestly prayed. It was always about earnest prayer, earnest prayer, earnest prayer, earnest prayer. In Acts 12:5, Peter's in jail. He's in shackles. And the church says, we've got to pray. And earnestly, they all come together, and there's dozens of them that begin to pray earnestly for his release, and an angel comes and sets him free. I want to ask this question this morning. Is there things in our lives today that we maybe are shackled? Maybe there's things that are holding us back, things that we're experiencing today that you're just walking through on your own, and it's like, ah, you know, I just, I feel like I'm in bondage. I feel like there's shackles on me. But what I want to encourage you is that later on today, this morning, after the message, we're going to be entering into a time of praise. We want to offer prayer because prayer brings about release. Praise brings about release. And we as a church want to pray. I love prayer. I've never been good at prayer. But as we continue to learn and grow in the area of prayer, I love it. I absolutely love it. The more that you go into prayer and you give yourself up to God and say, God, here I am. I don't really get this. I don't know what you're going to do, but just show up. It's amazing what God does. So we all want to pray and we want to, prayer, we want to pray prayers that are effective. We don't want to just throw words out there, right? Nobody likes to just pray as a hobby. Well, my hobby is prayer. I just like to throw words out and, uh, and we pray because we want God to answer. Now, there's some requirements to be ineffective, and we're going to look later on at some of the, the outcomes of, of fervent prayer. Um, but the first step in a requirement to be ineffective in prayer is a humble heart. And I think sometimes we lose in our culture about why are we here. You know, Keith mentioned that this is the Holy of Holies. This is the place where our God who's alive wants to come and dwell with his people. This is a place where when Moses walked the burning bush, he said, take off your sandals because where you stand is holy ground. This is a place where God wants to dwell. This isn't a place where we just come together because it's part of our weekly duties. Oh, I'm going to church. Check. Okay, that's off. Now let's go home. We come together because this is a place where we meet with our living God. This is a place where we commune with our living God together. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will just humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. A heart that's humbled is a heart that acknowledges who they're going before and is before the throne of God, before God himself. And I don't know 
what you guys think, but I would probably say that our land needs healing. Yeah? We have more people running around today that have mental health issues than ever before. We have more kids who don't know their parents and who are running around in gangs and just getting into trouble. And not just like little trouble like I got into, but big trouble. There's more people who are hooked on addictions than ever before. And the world is out of control. And we need to be a people who pray and start seeing changes in our communities and in this world. We need to seek God with our full face and say, God, we need you today. God, we're desperate for you today. The people in Acts and, and the people as they gather were desperate for God. They were desperate in prayer. It wasn't like, well, Lord, uh, healed Dan. Ah, well, he didn't get healed. Well, I tried. You know, they were like, no, we're praying and we're going to pray and we're going to believe that the will of God is for him to, not that you're sick, so don't, don't, <laughs> nobody go run up and, Dan. Um, but we do that. We oftentimes, we just throw out a prayer and say, well, uh, I don't know what else to do. I guess I tried. We need to be fervently seeking God. We're talking about ambitious prayer today. We need to be ambitious in our prayer. We need to seek God because God is the one who will make a difference in our lives and in this world. If we are asking according to his will, we must be listening. And to hear his will um, will produce results. 1 John 5.14 says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And this is really a challenge. I remember growing up and my mom had gone through just tons of sickness. And as a kid, I just said, God, just heal her. You know, and that was, your word says that you'll heal. And she never got healed. Just heal her, Lord. Your word says you're going to heal her. And I remember the frustration that came because, well, it says here. And sometimes the things that we desire for situations really isn't what God desires for those situations. We need to have ears that are attentive to what God's voice is so that we know how to pray. And in this culture, it's really, really challenging because we're busy, right? We have a lot of things on the go. We're, we're all over the place, checking messages, off to work, we're doing this. And then God should speak to me, okay, well, that, you know, you got to do it on the fly or by Facebook or by a text or something, God, because I'm, I'm busy. But God wants our ears to be attentive to his voice. We need to fine-tune. We need to develop this discipline of hearing his voice so we can be effective in our prayers. This oftentimes happens just like the upper room where they wait it. They wait it, and they wait it, and they wait it, and they wait it. Sometimes it takes a day. Sometimes it takes an hour. Sometimes it takes 10 days, three years. It doesn't, who knows? But we need to be attentive to his word. One of the other quali qualifications for requirements for being effective in prayer is not to be involved in worldliness, but in righteousness. 1 Peter 3.12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayers. We need to be a people who are set apart for God. Unfortunately, in our world, I think today and in the Church of North America, I think although we've been called to influence our world, I think it's gone the other way around, where the world has influenced us. God is calling for us to be righteous people who repent and say, God, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong, and not to say, oh, thanks, God, I'm sorry about that, but to be people who are earnestly sorry for our wrongs and say, God, heal our land, heal me, forgive me for this, so I can hear your voice. God says that the Lord, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. Righteousness does not mean perfect, and here's the challenge. Righteousness does not mean perfect, but it means repentant. We'll never come before God perfect. And if we think that we have to be perfect before we can come to God in prayer, well, 
we're all in deep trouble. We'll never be perfect. The uh, fourth point is prayer needs to be constant. James 5.16 in the King James says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Again, it needs to be constant. They were in the upper room in 114, and constantly they prayed for 10 days. 10 days they were together, 120 of them praising, or praying and praying and praying and praying. God, come. God, come. God, come. They knew what his will was, and his will was that the Holy Spirit would come upon them. And so in this room, they had twofold. One was the fervent prayer of the Holy Spirit to come. This is what they were desperate for. They knew they needed it. And two was for supplication. God, we're in trouble unless you come. And so there they prayed straight for 10 days. 10 days constantly praying to God. God, come. God, come. And it says that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And on the 10th day, the Holy Spirit comes. The last point here really quickly is waiting. Ten days in the upper room before Pentecost. That's, again, back to prayers. There's a story that I I, uh, just want to share about waiting. And sometimes in our prayer times, we pray for situations that seem impossible, right? We can all attest to that. Someone's dying of cancer, our family member's sick, or a friend, or something serious is going on, and it seems like there's no answer to it. Sometimes prayer takes time, and again... For those who constantly go to prayer, when you hear the will of God and you continually pray, sometimes those answers don't happen right away. Sometimes it's months. Sometimes it's years. Sometimes we never see the answer, but the next person who picks up that prayer sees the answer. There's a story of a team, and I hope I don't botch this. It's through MB Missions, and they were on a missions trip to a, I can't tell you the country. and I can't tell you their names. I can't really tell you what happened. No, just kidding. Uh, it's a good, it is a good story. Uh, um, anyways, they're in this country that they're not allowed to expose where they are. And so on one of their journeys, there's a monastery where these elderly people are walking around. And the team goes over and decides that they're going to go look and to go see what's happening. Just strictly tourists, not missions, not nothing. And off they go. This lady, as they're, they're seeing these elderly people walking, they have these things, I guess, that they whip. They're almost like a prayer bead type thing, and they're praying out to their gods. And, <clears throat> and they come up to this one lady. She can't speak English. She's deaf. And uh, she comes up, and through an interpreter says, I need prayer. And so the team turns, and they begin to pray for this lady, and she's healed. Her hearing, pew. told me. I'm going to cry with this one. She's healed of her hearing issue. The gods that she was praying to, nothing happened. When Jesus, when the Holy Spirit came upon her, her ears were healed and she began to hear. And then she, they started to tell her about Jesus and she was saved, I believe. And then she gave her heart to God. And then she started to walk around this monastery, whipping her thing, saying, Jesus healed me. Jesus, or something like that. Jesus, or praise Jesus, or pray to Jesus. And all these other people like, What? And so they come over, and they start getting prayer. And so for five hours, this team begins to pray in the Spirit. And these people, like this massive outbreak of the Spirit happens in this country. The funny thing about it is when they, I'm, I'm probably botching parts of this, they get home. Five years previously, when they get home, this guy pulls out this picture in his wallet and says, did you see this lady there? And uh, they're like, yeah, we prayed for her, and she was healed, and now she's saved. And they go, For five years, we've been praying for this lady. Five years, we've been praying. (laughs) 
Through the power of prayer, God wants to do stuff. God wants to move. God wants to perform miracles. God wants to display his power for the world to see. Is that not exciting? And let me tell you something, church. That's one story. All around the world today, it's happening. People are being raised from the dead under the power of the Holy Spirit. People who are crippled and lame are being healed. People are being, are being drawn by the Holy Spirit to accept Jesus, this God that we serve. North America needs God. We need to connect with the God who has the ability to make a difference in this world. You and I, with all of our abilities, like this video that we saw, we can try, and we can try, and we can try. We need to be a people of ambitious prayer, people of fervent prayer who go before the throne, crying out for the lost, crying out for people that God shows us that we need to pray for. So then in chapter 2, this is probably one of the most exciting things, uh, interesting things, but I like it. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. And when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Again, unity. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. In this story, wind represents power. And do you guys remember a few years ago when Stanley Park got that huge windstorm and it just got rocked? These huge trees got knocked down. Wind has power, and wind in this story represents power. When the power of God comes upon his people, there's a display that happens. Power gets people's attention, right? When I remember we had just bought our townhouse literally like two weeks in. We, not even. We were there for like a week. The storm hits right of power. We have a newborn baby. We have no power. We're at Starbucks like all day and all night pretty much like drinking coffee and whatever. It was awful, but it got people's attention. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says that the kingdom of God is not about word but in power. You guys ever had an experience where you talk to somebody about God and it's just like, burp, you know, just does not get through? But when the power of God comes upon us, that power goes with force and strikes into the very souls of men getting into the heart and to the root of where they're at and making changes in their lives. People, God said, I want to show you my power because that's the only way people respond. People don't respond by just talking. People don't care about talking. It's just talk. Two of the roles that the Holy Spirit came upon them for, for the upper room, was that um, they would have the power of evangelism. Two things. One would be that Christ would be glorified through their lives, that people would see Christ through them as they walked through the world, and that there would be power of evangelism, that as they went out, the people would go, wow, we want what you have. And I think it's so funny that in this story, we have, um, we have Peter here who then goes on to preach. They're actually speaking in other tongues. They're not even theirs. They're just other languages. All these visitors are in Jerusalem, and the disciples start preaching speaking all these other languages of the visitors who are there, and they don't even speak those languages. And the people say in verse 11, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Peter's like, ah, perfect. And he begins to tell them about the power of God, the power of the resurrection Christ, and 3,000 people are added to their midst that day. I think that's pretty exciting. We do a lot of programming and we put a lot of stuff together, but what if we prayed for 10 days? How many people would come to know God just through the power of prayer and inviting the Holy Spirit to come into our midst? Nothing against programs. I don't mean that in a bad way. 
But here we have Peter, a guy who two months previous was denying Christ. I don't know him. I have no idea who this guy is that you're talking about. And now he's preaching up a storm. He's full of boldness. He's full of passion. And people are responding, going, we want what you have. It makes absolutely no sense, but we want it. And I think this is pretty exciting. Later on in this, in the Acts uh, book, we see that, um, sorry, lost my page. One of the other reasons, the keys about evangelism that God wants to give us. Tell me, how many people here just naturally say, I love evangelism? Yeah, Danny. Yeah, Mike. Yeah, that's right. Most of us are like, we want to do it, but it scares the daylights out of us. When you walk through town and there's like a bank full of people, you go, who would I even talk to? You know, if I were to pick somebody here, or do I just stand up and say, hey, everyone, you want to know Jesus? And they're all like, get out of here. We love evangelism. I think overall, I think our passion is for the lost, but what we need is the power of the Holy Spirit to make this possible. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For I did not give, us, give you a spirit of fear or timidness, but of love, power, and a sound mind. God wants to give break past our insecurities and our weaknesses, and he wants to enable us to do things that we should be doing under the power of the Holy Spirit. Later on, Peter preaches again, uh, and people come to know him. He heals, not coming to know him, coming to know Christ, sorry. That's uh, not very biblical. Um, he heals the sick. He heals the man who's crippled at the gate called Beautiful. There's even later on in Scripture where, where Peter's walking and a shadow falls on the sick and they're healed. When the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon us, guys, we don't even have to talk all the time and things happen because the power is so great, it draws people. The Holy Spirit convicts people. It draws them unto Jesus, and that's what our lives are. Our lives are vessels that the Holy Spirit wants to work through, that you and I would be witnesses. You and I would be light in this dark world. You and I would make a difference that today, that they were here, and when the wind blew, people said, what is that? And they wanted to come see what it was. Wouldn't it be cool today right now if the Holy Spirit swept through here and people in the event center and out in the parking lot and out at the playground <clears throat> said, what is that? Let's go see what's going on in that church. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be amazing to see God move where people started seeing the church as a relevant force in the community instead of, ah, I've been there before. Eh, I don't really want to go again. Can you imagine if the church became a place where when our hospitals are overflowed, they would call the church and say, can you come and help? Because we need help here. The Great Commission is that we're to go, Matthew 28, 19, we're to go and to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is part of our, our, our Christian experience. We're to be converted. We accept Jesus into our lives. We're water baptized. And then the third stage is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's the one that oftentimes, whoop, I don't know about that one. We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with the Spirit. I'm just going to keep saying this all day. We need to be filled the Holy. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The greatest commandment or the greatest requirement to be in surrender to the Holy Spirit is Galatians 5:16 to 26. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the, the desires of the flesh. We need to surrender ourselves to say the things of this world I don't want, but God, I want you. I need you. I'm desperate for you. And sometimes where that starts is through ambitious prayer where we seek the face of God and we seek his will. In this situation in Acts, God's will was that his people would be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to do greater things than what he did. 
Church, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Whether or not you feel like that's something that you can understand or not, or whether it's scary or, well, that's not me. I'm too old. I don't, I'm too young. I'm too married. I'm too not married. I'm whatever. The Holy Spirit wants to come upon you. Young, we have youth groups. We have young people here. Imagine walking through school and instead of peer pressure coming your way, that you would have the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would be the one that would be changing your school. We have nurses and medical people here. Imagine walking through the hallways and seeing the power of Christ move where people are healed and transformed. We have teachers here today as well. You have whole generations sitting in your classroom that, have the, that you have the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to transform lives and future generations because of the power working through you. We have people who are in ministry here today. We have moms, we have dads, we have entrepreneurs, we have businessmen, we have all sorts of people that are represented here today. And you have the ability in your life to make a difference through the power of the Holy Spirit. One of the things that happens is that we need to get filled and then it needs to be continuous. Ephesians 6.18 says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. We just need to continue to come back to the Holy Spirit. We need to continue to come back to God in prayer and say, God, I need you more today. I need you more today. I need you more today. I'm tired. I'm weak. I'm burdened. You know, this life, I don't know about you guys, but there's just days where I'm just like, uh, not that I want to end it. Don't get me wrong. But you're just tired. You just come home and it's like, uh, I've just put in eight hours and I haven't really done anything. I just, all I've done is pay the bills. Do you guys feel that way? Where just fatigue just sort of sits on you, just the grind of life. Well, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he also energizes you. He does the work. He helps you. He enables you. So it's not an extra burden. He's actually doing it. And so every Sunday morning in that room in the back, we pray, and we come together not because it's my ministry or Jackie's ministry or anyone's ministry. We come because we want God to move. We want God's will to be fulfilled in this church. We want God's will to be fulfilled in Willoughby. We don't want a church this big, as great as this is. Wouldn't it be great to see that filled out there in the arena, that instead of hockey, that it's jammed up? There's places in South America today that church... If you're not there like three hours early, you're not sitting down because God is moving. One of the things that we, in just closing here, and maybe as the worship team comes up, I just want to close this morning with talking about power a little bit more. And all of us have power in our house. We all have plugins, we all have um, different th- plugins, whatever. What do you say, plugins? Every. We have plugins, things plugged into those plugs like crazy. We got lamps, we've got TVs. I mean, we, we stick stuff in there, we utilize them. Our fridges are in them, our stoves are in them. Not one of us ever looks at the power on the wall and says, I don't know about that. You know, I, I've heard things about that. A friend of my friend, he tried that power and uh, it was a bit iffy. We utilize it, we stick stuff in there, we, we have lights on all over the place. We love power. We utilize it. Power makes our lives easier, right? We utilize it and we tap into it. I just want to talk to you today really, really quickly as we're about to enter into a time of praise about this power. We oftentimes become so concerned about this power, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit says that when I come upon you, when I fill you, Uh, you'll do great things. We need to be reliant on the power of the Holy Spirit. We need not to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. We need to tap into it daily, just like it's a part of our everyday life. And when we begin to do that, we'll start seeing the fruits of the Holy Spirit operating in this church. 
I want to encourage you guys to pray. Pray as couples. Pray with your friends. Pray in your life groups. Pray as a church. Come and pray that together that we would be unified and we would begin to see the gospel of Jesus impacting the world around us. We're going to enter into a time of praise. And this is a bit of a sketchy time right now. Not praise. Not Jared or the team. This is a bit of a, you guys are like sketchy. This is a time where we want to ask something of you guys and ask us as a church to make a decision. Let me grab this for you. This morning, maybe you need a touch from God. Maybe today as you sit in the seats, maybe you're going through. (laughs) Sorry, guys. Maybe you need a touch from God this morning. Maybe there's sickness in your bodies. Maybe there's a struggle with something going on in your life. And we want to pray. Because the power of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we want to tap into this power. We want to together as a group, not one by one going, well, I guess I'll creep up there and try if everyone could close their eyes. We want to corporately today to support and to, to react and to engage the Holy Spirit I know this is scary for a lot of people. I don't fully understand the Holy Spirit, but I know that in my Christian walk that I, this is the process I need to take to take that next level in my walk with God. We're going to invite you to come up to the front and not, <clears throat> not behind the curtains or in the back. We're going to ask you to come forward. And together, <clears throat> excuse me, maybe there's people here today that your Christian walk has just become dead. It's just sort of a process of walking through the motions where life is just like, eh. Reading scriptures, sort of, eh. Praying, sort of, eh. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, He quickens that stuff. He makes prayer where you want to pray. You want to read the Word. You want to evangelize. You want to praise. You want to get into it with God. And God wants to restore the first love in your life today. There's also some of you today where that passion to go deeper (laughs) is there. Let me tell you something, church. The hardest steps to take are those steps because it's a hard step. It's a, it's, a, it's a sign of humility. It's a sign of surrender to say, I can't do this. I need God's help. And I'm calling you guys as a church to respond. That this church would begin to see the world impacted by the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives today, guys. We have a church board and we have pastors in this church that pray and they pray and they pray. We have amazing men and women in this church who pray. But as a church, we need to respond. And so as they play, they're going to sing songs of praise, of surrenderance, and just acknowledgement to the God that we serve today. And I'm going to invite you just to come. I'm coming down here. I want more of God. I don't know what it looks like. But come. Just come. Don't be afraid. Don't say, oh, well, you know, the kids, we got, they're going to come. Just come. Step out of your seat and come. Bring your wife. Bring the person beside you and come. And we're going to worship God together in a corporate body. And we're going to pray. And if you need prayer, just pray. Have your hands raised and we'll come around and we'll pray. And we're just going to believe that the Holy Spirit wants to move today. Okay. <clears throat>